Turn your attention to Psalms chapter 23 and verse 5. We start with Psalms chapter 23 and verse 5, and then we'll go to Psalms chapter 116 and verse 12. Let's start with Psalms 23, 5. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. How many of you can raise your hand today and say, indeed, your cup runneth over? What a blessed people we are. And then looking at Psalms 116 and verse 12, it simply says, What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. David said, I recognize the cup of salvation and I will pay my vows unto the Lord. In Psalms 23, 5, he talked about my cup runneth over. And in Psalms 116, he talks about the cup of salvation. So our message today deals with what appears to be the dichotomy between these different verses. And we want to talk about this subject. Whose cup is it? Whose cup is it? Under the reading of the Word of God, everybody said, in Jesus' name, I receive the Word of God. Even if it's about giving. Yeah, I got a little less on that last one, didn't I? God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. What a great church we have. Amen. We're so blessed. So thankful for all that God is doing. Psalms chapter 23 is a beautiful passage of scripture. Perhaps for many people it's the most favored or the most common. It gives, I believe, an accurate description of the relationship that we have with the great shepherd. David in his profession of being a shepherd understood this relationship between the shepherd and the sheep and he used it to parallel what it is to have a relationship with God. And One of the things as we read through Psalms 23 we find that there is a description of the great shepherd's protection, provision, and praises. Three things that we see that are so important in our relationship with our great shepherd. And even when we look at the specific verse that we read to you in verse 5, it appears that those three things are clearly defined. The first one is his protection. It says, thou hast prepared the table in the presence of mine enemies. That's the protection. David was saying, even in the midst of enemies, even when I'm surrounded in a hostile environment by those that would try to hurt me, thou preparest a table. The Lord does not neglect his people even in an adverse environment. Then he says, thou anointest my head with oil. Ladies and gentlemen, we believe that that's the praise that goes up to God. That when you lift your voice in your hands and you say, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, that there is an oil of gladness, hallelujah, that God puts upon his people from the top of our head to the sole of our feet. It runs down and we know that we are in the presence of a holy God. That indeed he is a God that is worthy of the praises of his people. And then he says, my cup runneth over. And in the context of this verse and chapter, it is speaking about God's provision and his blessings. The cup is our normal portion in life that God gives to each man or woman as he pleases. And this psalm makes sense because 
to the Jews when they would receive a guest into their home. They would intentionally overfill the cup and allow it to run over. And by doing this, the guest would know that they were welcome to stay as long as they wanted to. Now, if you went to visit someone and they only put a little bit in your cup, you would know that your welcome is very short-lived. But when they would overflow the cup, they were saying, we don't care about the mess. We want you to know we have plenty of provision for you and stay as long as you want to. I'm glad that when the Lord saves us, hallelujah, it's not just a quick fix. It's not just to get through a tough weekend. He's a God, hallelujah, that the cup of his blessings flow over and down on the platter and splashes onto the table and his goodness is forever and ever and ever. What a beautiful God we serve. And then Psalms 116.13 makes it clear that the cup of salvation contains all the blessings of God, especially those of eternal life and reward in his kingdom. And in addition to that, Jesus tells the disciples in Matthew 26 to drink of this cup, referring to his cup. So the question that is before us today is whose cup is it? What is his cup? And what is my cup? We learn the answer by studying an Old Testament story. We pick up the narrative in Genesis 44 and verse 1. This referring to the story of Joseph when he revealed himself to his brothers. Put them through a series of tests as they did not know. God had blessed their brother and he was now vice president of Egypt. He commanded the steward of his house saying, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put every man's money in his sack's mouth. This is money that they had brought for their food from a previous trip. And now he's given them their money back. But then he says, put my cup. Everybody say my cup. My the silver cup in the sack's mouth of the youngest. That was his youngest brother, Benjamin. And his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away there and their donkeys. And when they were gone out of the city and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, Up, follow after the men. And when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good? Is not this it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? Ye have done evil in so doing." And so he overtook them, and he spake unto them these words. And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold the money which we found in our sack's mouth, we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? One of the most interesting and moving stories in all the Bible. Joseph starts out as a young boy with dreams and ambitions. Because he is the son of Rachel, the beloved wife of his father Jacob, who died giving birth to his younger brother Benjamin, Joseph is loved by his brothers more than all of his half-brothers. Joseph is given a coat of many colors by his father, and this is an expensive coat because of all the different colors and dyes and what it would take in that day. And Jacob is not reticent to show his favor. He makes it clear to the whole family that he loves Joseph the most. This combination of ambition and favor, it serves as a toxic mix for the anger and the rage of Joseph's half-brothers to the point that they plot to kill him. 
They sell him into slavery. And as a young boy, Jacob now ends up as a slave, or Joseph rather, ends up as a slave in Egypt. But, but he's talented. And he is eventually promoted to the position of ruler of the house of Potiphar. Potiphar is the chief captain of all the armies of Egypt. Potiphar's wife recognizes this handsome young man as the leader of this home and she tries to seduce Joseph. And when he refuses her advances and says, I can do no sin against my God, she is offended and she turns on him and falsely accuses Joseph of rape. And Joseph is thrown into prison for a crime that he did not commit. But in time, he rises to be the leader of all prisoners. Ladies and gentlemen, there's something about a man or a woman that's got the favor of God on them. It doesn't matter where you put them. Hallelujah. God is going to bless them and they're going to rise to the top. During this prison term, he befriends a baker and a butler from Pharaoh's house. They've been cast into prison. He's been given this great gift from God. He can interpret dreams in which he does for them and they become true and The baker is executed as he had prophesied and the butler is restored to the king's house, which is Pharaoh's house. And the butler, ladies and gentlemen, it's important to take note of this. The butler has the same job that we see that Nehemiah had some years later. They are both cupbearers of the king. A cupbearer of the king in that day was someone who drank of the king's cup to make sure that what he was fixing to drink was not poison. But he was never to mistake that that was his cup. He was just simply to drink of the cup, but the cup belonged to the king. He was only there to make sure that the king was not poisoned. Well, Joseph says, don't forget me when you get up there and you're in Pharaoh's house. But sure enough, he forgot him. He got up there and he was in Pharaoh's house and time passes and Pharaoh has a dream and nobody can interpret the dream because Pharaoh says to all of his wise men, I don't trust your interpretation. You tell me what I dreamed and then I'll know your interpretation is accurate. Of course, they can't come up with that. They're all a bunch of false prophets. So they all worry. And he says, well, I'm going to just take all of your heads off if you can't come up with an answer. And they're all worried. and They're crying and they're rubbing their hands together and they're motivated to try to find a solution. And they're telling everybody and the butler gets wind of this. And then the butler remembers. Isn't it amazing how you can remember what you were taught in Sunday school as a child when you get in trouble and you say, Jesus, help me. Because you learned as a boy, it's all in the name of Jesus. I don't know about you, I'm glad somebody told me where to go when I needed help. God, he remembered him. He said, I met this guy when I was in prison, man, his name's Joseph. Y'all need to go get him. He can interpret dreams. He not even make the Pharaoh happy. He'll save all of our lives. They call for Joseph, comes up out of the prison. Pharaoh says, here's what the situation is. What, what did I dream? He tells him what he dreamed. He told him the interpretation. Here's the interpretation. There's going to be seven years of plenty in Egypt. You're going to have more food. You know what to do with this country only. But then there's going to be seven years of famine that's going to strike the whole then known world. What shall we do? Pharaoh asked Joseph. Joseph said, put somebody in charge of the land during the first seven years and have them store up grain. Everything that we don't need, if it's not for the livestock, if it's not for the humans, we'll put it in storage. We'll save, save, save for seven years. And then we will have enough to survive the famine and we'll have enough to help others around us and we'll sell it for a fair price. But we'll be able to sustain the human race during the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh said, that's a great idea. And he says, Joseph, you're going to be the man. You're in charge of everything that's in this land. Everything except me, you're in charge of. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'll just stay faithful to God, God will honor you. 
You may have to go through a prison. You may have to go through a pit. But there's coming a day, hallelujah, when God can use you in the palace. When he can trust you and know you'll be faithful to his word. Because Joseph is a great leader. And because Joseph has the hand of God on his life. He prospers and so does Egypt. Ladies and gentlemen, when God blesses somebody or something, there is an overflow effect to it. Not only will God bless you, he'll bless your family, your home, your children, your job, everything that you touch. Hallelujah. If God's hand is upon you, it'll flow to everything around you. That's why you ought to tell your employer, you're fortunate that I work for you because God's hand is upon me. And not only is he going to bless me, he's going to bless you and this company and every other employer. So you better give me Sunday off so I can be in church. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. You ought not to be ashamed that you are highly favored of God. He said, I'll make you the head and not the tail. I'm going to put you above and not beneath. Boy, this famine hits, and sure enough, Joseph is a great leader, so he organizes all the storage of grain. The famine hits after seven years of plenty, and Egypt's the only country with grain, and under Joseph's leadership, in addition to the feeding of their own people, Egypt will sell the corn now to other countries for a fair price. Jacob and his sons are over there in the land of Canaan now. But they're also in the same famine. And Jacob sends his ten sons on a long journey across the desert to go to Egypt. Now this family believes that Joseph has died many, many years ago. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you something. When everybody else has given up on you, it doesn't mean God has given up. Everybody else thinks you're dead and gone, but God hasn't lost your zip code. He's still preparing favor for you. And so they have to send their sons across. They said, now go. And he doesn't let Benjamin go. Benjamin's the youngest of the whole family. He's Joseph's whole brother, also born of Rachel. And Jacob clings to Benjamin. But his other ten sons he sends, he says, go and, you know, as Egypt's custom was, whoever went and came and got grain, they had to stand before Joseph. So they come and stand before Joseph, and they don't recognize it. They don't realize this is their half-brother that they've sold into slavery. But Joseph recognizes them, and he starts a series of tests. They bring money. They bring all of this money for corn and grain. I say, can we buy this much for this amount of price? And he says, yes. And he tells the steward, fill up all their bags with grain, but put their money back in the bags. And so... They go home and they got all this grain and they get there and they open up the sack's mouth and all the money's in there too. And they're like, oh no, what happened? He overcharged us. And they're like, dad, we paid for this, but they put it back in there. He said, well, maybe it's an accident. And when we run out of grain and we go back, we'll bring the money back with. How many of you ever gone to a restaurant or been in a grocery store and they gave you too much money back? Raise your hand. You ever had that? How many of you have ever said, you know what? God has just blessed me with this. I didn't, I didn't see this blessing coming. It's really hard when you're in a drive-thru and you're like, they gave me too much money. And you're like, well, I better go get back in line and go around and give it to them and all. And then as you're pulling out, you're thinking, maybe God's just wanting to bless me. No, that's not God wanting to bless you. That's God testing you. Because if you're not honest with Chick-fil-A's money, you're not going to be honest with his money. Y'all don't want to hear none of this, I know. <laughs> So sure enough, they run out of grain and they go back. And when they go back, Joseph says to them, you know what? I think you guys are spies. 
no, we're not spies. We're just shepherds. And he goes, no, you got, you got any more family? Well, yeah, we got one other brother, Benjamin. Well, you need to go back and bring Benjamin. No, we can't. That would kill our dad. You don't understand. We can't bring Benjamin. He said, well, I'm going to hold Simeon. That was one of the older brothers. Till you guys bring Benjamin back. They go back home. They tell their dad, dad, they told us we we're spies. We're going to die. They made us keep Benjamin. Simeon's there. It's a hostage. We got to bring Benjamin. And Jacob's like, I can't lose Benjamin. I've already lost Joseph. If I lose Benjamin, I'll have nothing to live for. Of course, that made all the other 10 brothers feel good. <laughs> And they said, well, dad, we've got to. And so he said, promise me. They promised. They stood before their dad. They said, we promise you, we will not let anything happen to Benjamin. We will protect him. We will stay with him. So they get all there and they get back and they stand before the king. They bring all the money back and they said, here's what you did before and all that. And here's our youngest brother. We've done everything you've asked us to do. And, and uh, Joseph said, yes, you did. And you've been, you've been very kind to us. And we're so happy. And I'm going to throw all of you a feast. And he releases Simeon out of jail. And he throws them a big feast. And they look around and they're all sitting. And they're like, what's going on? First we were spies. Then we're this. Now we've got a big feast. Are they fattening us up for the kill? They didn't know what to do. <laughs> and then they look over there at their youngest brother, Benjamin. And Joseph had told the steward, give him five times more than all the other brothers. And they look over there at Benjamin, and Benjamin's just eating, and he's got a mound of food. And they're like, what's going on? He said, I don't know. He gives them all their grain and all that and puts the money again back in the bag, gives them extra grain for their animals, for the ride home. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you something. God blesses us in ways that we can't even identify. It's not just financial. It's emotional. It's mental. It's spiritual. There is grain for the animals. And then he puts that silver cup, that cup that only belongs to the king. He puts that in Benjamin's bag as he's instructed the steward to do it. And they go on about their journey. We read about it. And then he has his men come up and say, y'all took the cup. No, we would never take the cup. Oh, we, we could, no, we would never, ever. No, there's no way we would ever. Why you give to us? We grade them. And they look in there and there's the money again back in the bags that they've given. But then there's that silver cup. And they say, we've got to take Benjamin with us. And all the brothers are like, you can't take Benjamin. You can't. It'll kill my dad. We're going with you. If you're going to take Benjamin, you've got to take all of us. So they take them all, and they all go back, and they say, uh, Joseph, we found uh, the silver cup in Benjamin's bag. And, uh, and he says, all right, Benjamin. And the, and the brothers intercede. And they go, no, please, it would kill our dad. Joseph, you cannot. No, they didn't call him Joseph. Mr. Pharaoh's assistant, whatever his title was in Egypt. Mr. Vice President of Egypt, you can't take, you can't take our youngest son. And they plead with him. Joseph is so broken, he excuses himself and he goes behind the wall and he starts to cry because he realizes that God has changed their hearts. Ladies and gentlemen, don't ever give up on a family member. You don't know. God can change their heart. I said, God can change their heart. He comes back out and he reveals who he is. And they're astonished. They're like, you're going to, you're Joseph. Oh, Joseph, please don't kill him. We didn't mean it. I don't know. I'm sure they all started blaming each other. As brothers will do. And then Joseph says to them, these famous words, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Oh, I want to preach to somebody today. I don't know what you may have gone through, but I still believe the word of God that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. It may have been meant for evil. Somebody may have harmed you when you were young. 
but God did it for good and used it as a vehicle to bring you into his presence. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And they are reunited back together. Such an incredible story. Wish I had time to go into all the details of it. But suffice it to say this, there's tremendous insight into this story. One of the things that we see is that Joseph is an Old Testament type of Christ. He's sold for 20 pieces of silver by his brothers. Jesus is sold for 30 pieces of silver. He forgave his brothers just as Jesus forgave his brothers and showed mercy. And there's no record in the Bible that Joseph ever sinned, even as we know that Jesus was without sin. So Joseph was an Old Testament representation of the Messiah. But the Lord gave me another revelation some four years ago as I was reading this story with my sons. And it's a story that illustrates the relationship that each of us must have in giving to the Lord. First of all, in Genesis 42:30, the brothers referred to Joseph as, and I quote, the Lord of the land. In telling their father the story of this trip, Joseph was in charge of the land, the corn, the grain, and their provision. So the Bible refers to him as the Lord of the land, as these brothers are describing who they stood before in Egypt to their dad. Well, the Bible also refers to God, our Heavenly Father, as the Lord of the harvest. The Lord of the land and the Lord of the harvest. Ladies and gentlemen, our Savior is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. He is in charge of our provision. Hallelujah. And every time that the brothers brought back gifts to him, Joseph always returned it back to them in their sacks in addition to the corn. And the Bible says provision for their animals for the trip. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is how God operates. Anything that you give him, he reimburses you. You do not volunteer a moment of time. You are not faithful to the house of God one service, but that God will not reimburse you over and over again for your time, for your talent, and for your treasure. God will always give it back to you, not in the exact amount, but in abundance, pressed down, shaken together, and running over in ways that you and I cannot measure. The blessings of God are upon His people. He'll bless you in ways that you can't imagine. There was a young couple that was here with us this morning. I remember when they were told by three different doctors that they couldn't have children. But they stood down here at this altar and we prayed and they received a baby of their own accord. Hallelujah. Nine months later. I'm going to tell you what. God will bless you. God will give you miracle after miracle after miracle. Good health. He'll give you safety and favor and nourishment. And he will bless you all the days of your life just keep putting it back in your sack the more you give to God the more he puts it back in your sack these brothers were being tested by the Lord of the land just as each of us are tested by the Lord of the harvest there's more than 500 verses in the Bible on prayer there are almost 500 verses in the Bible concerning faith but there are more than 2,000 verses in the Bible on the subject of money and possessions of the 38 parables that Jesus told, 16 of them were about money. Why? Because money, ladies and gentlemen, is actually a test from God. 
How you and I handle money reveals volumes about our priorities, our loyalties, and our affections. And in this world that you and I live, money is their God. But God says, can I trust you? Because if he can learn to trust you through your faithfulness, God can give you more. The Bible said he will open up the windows of heaven and bless you in ways that you cannot imagine. Just as Joseph wanted to see their heart before he revealed his identity, Jesus wants to see your heart before he reveals his identity. The Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And nothing will test your heart like giving. And then the Lord showed me something that I've never seen before. The chief steward of Joseph's house revealed it. All of the money that was returned to them in their bags were the result of the money that they had brought. It was the result of what they had brought. The chief steward says, your money. It was given back as a reimbursement. It came as a gift and it went back as a gift. It came as a result of what they had first given and it was returned unto them. But the silver cup was different. It belonged to the Lord of the land. It was his. It was put in their possession and in their sacks. But the ownership of the cup was never in question. I believe that God will take what you and I freely give him and return it unto us and multiply it. But there is something, ladies and gentlemen, that clearly belongs to God. And if we take it, we are stealing from the Lord of the harvest. You say, what is that? That's a great question because it's the same question that was asked in Malachi. The book of Malachi chapter 3 and verse 3 is where we begin. Malachi in the Old Testament, a prophet, he is now calling the nation of Israel back to a place of repentance. It says, and he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall, I don't think that's there by accident, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, that's the priesthood, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. And I will come near to you to judgment and I will be swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against false swears and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless and that turn aside the stranger from his right. And fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are now consumed. The Lord says, this is not a principle that is going to change. Even from the days of your fathers, you're gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye say, wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a continuous thread throughout all of Scripture that you and I are to pay 10% of our income back to the Lord as our tithe. In fact, tithes means 10%. I submit to you today, ladies and gentlemen, that it is not ours, but it is the Lord's. It is the silver cup that belongs to the Lord of the harvest. And he puts it in each one of our sacks to test us and to see what we will do with it. If we return it back to the Lord, the blessings are bountiful. 
But if we keep it and hang on to it, or we try to skimp with God, there's always that challenge. Now, let me tell you what happened to the brothers. When they came back with this cup, and they said, okay, it was in our bag. We don't know how it got there, but we recognize that it's not ours. And they gave that back to Joseph. Joseph then revealed himself. And ladies and gentlemen, it's not until you and I return that cup of 10% of our income back to the Lord in our tithe that we get a revelation that Jesus is our provider, that he is our Jehovah Jireh. Until you get that revelation, you'll say, Pastor, I can't, pay to, I can't afford to pay tithes. You know why? Because you think paying tithes is like any other bill. But I've come to tell you, it was never ours to begin with. It was never yours to begin with. It always belonged to the Lord of the harvest. And if I'll return it back to Him faithfully, He will reveal Himself to me. And everything under that will be blessed. And will be anointed. If we can just obey him in this one area. And anything else that's not 10% is robbing from God. Anything other than giving him that full 10%. Sometimes we try to do as little as possible. And as a result, we live in fear and doubt. Living from paycheck to paycheck. That was never God's plan for his people. I always have felt like that God wanted us to get a revelation that we can trust him if we will simply live by biblical principles. If we do, ladies and gentlemen, the sky is the limit on what God can do. David learned the answer to this question, whose cup is it? It was revealed in Psalm 16, 5. He said, the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. David said, I recognize my life, my cup is only blessed if it is filled from what comes from your cup. If I can recognize that every good gift in my life, every good thing that is in the bag of the collected items that you and I accumulate over time, of the blessings of God and family and jobs and so forth, if we can recognize it all came from God, it all flowed from the cup of His favor then we will not have a problem giving the Lord what belongs to Him and then allowing that to splash over into our cup. Because, ladies and gentlemen, our cup is only full and running over whenever it flows from the blessing of His cup. His cup is tithes. Paying your tithe has only three requirements. The first one is it must be 10%. Not eight, not five, not two. We are commanded in Scripture to pay our tithes not to give God a tip like he's a waiter in a restaurant somewhere. I knew it'd get quiet right there. It got quiet right there in the first service. That's how I know I'm right on target. (laughs) We say, Lord, you've been so good to me. Man, I just want to bless the Lord today. I enjoyed going down to First Pentecostal Church. I think I'm going to throw a dollar or two in the offering. Well, guess what happened? The Lord has put a silver cup in your bag. And he wants to know what you're going to do with it. Whether or not you're going to return it back to the Lord of the land. And you're like, oh, yeah, Lord, I'll do it. I'm going to return the cup 
But instead of returning the silver cup, you give God a sippy cup. <laughs> and the Lord says, uh-uh, that ain't 10%. And you say, you're right. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm going to return this cup. This is a first Pentecostal cup right here. I may not be able to pay my tithes, but you know what? I can volunteer down there at the church. And you know what? I figured up all the hours I volunteered and what I do in the parking lot, what I do running the video equipment and all that. And if I get paid, well, I get paid at my job at $20 an hour. Well, that's just like paying tithes. Uh-uh. You are robbing from God because you don't pay tithes based on how much time you volunteer at First Pentecostal Church. Oh, boy, you're right, preacher. I don't know what I was thinking. Here, I'm going to really be serious this time. I'm going to return the cup. That cup right there says Puerto Rico on it. <laughs> you say, well, brother, brother Myers, I believe I've helped. I, we sent generators to Puerto Rico when that hurricane hit them down there. We've helped. We give the hands for healing. I give to missions. I'm blessing all that. I'm going to give. Nope, that's not the silver cup. That's the missions cup. That helps a lot of people, but that ain't the silver cup. Now you dig down there real deep and you say, oh, I found it. There's the silver cup. Smells like the silver cup, looks like the silver cup. But when you thump it, it ain't the silver cup. It's been spray painted silver. I know because I did it myself. This is people that have their own companies and businesses and they, they say, you know what? We're just going to give ourselves a small salary every week and we're going to pay tithes on that. It looks like it's the silver cup, but it ain't the silver cup. Here's what you got to be careful of. Don't use the same techniques that you use with the U.S. government to avoid taxes. You don't try to use that with God. God will keep up better books than the IRS does. <laughs> God knows when the sparrow falls from the tree. Don't you know? He knows what's happening. And here's what I don't understand. Why should the government take off the top? And then you and I have to battle with what God is wanting to give. I'm going to tell you in just a minute how you can solve that. You don't even have to battle it no more. Then you pull out the silver cup. Woo! The Lord of the land says, there it is. You've returned what I put in your bag. And now I can trust you with all the blessings of heaven. Oh, hallelujah. It's just three simple things. Number one, needs to be 10%. Not five or eight or two or whatever you can afford. 10%, it belongs to God. You budget the 90%. But the 10% is the silver cup that goes to God. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to make sure it's the first fruits. It needs to come off the top. This is one thing... I'm happy about. In fact, if you guys look into your bulletin, you pull out, there's a little card that's in there. It talks about online giving here. It talks about designated giving on the back. Online giving, we've just started with a new group. You can go to it by give.fpcpalmbay.com. 
you can set it up where every time you get paid, and you designate it all, but automatically it'll come out of your checking account and it'll be tithe. A number of years ago when we set this up in the church, a lady caught me over here in the second floor and she said, I want to thank you for that automatic deduction thing that y'all set up at the church where my tithe just goes automatically. I said, you want to thank me for it? I was a little surprised because I'm used to people being funny about money. And so she said, I want to thank you for it. And I said, thank me for it? She said, yeah. She said, every time I used to get paid, I'd fight with the devil over my tithes. But she said, now the devil's left me alone because he can't even get to it. It's gone before I even see it. <laughs> First fruits. That's important. You can set it up one time or reoccurring. And a lot of people use digital giving now to pay with uh, their credit card or debit cards. And, of course, we have fees for that, and we take care of those fees. We absorb that. But the very best thing that can happen is for you to just have it come out of your checking account because if you do that, there's less than one half of 1% that we pay as fees when it comes directly out of your checking account. That will solve two things. Number one, you'll be consistent. Number two, you'll make sure it's the first fruits. It's coming off the top. When they asked the Lord about paying taxes, the Lord said, whose image is on the coin? And they said, Caesar. He said, well, render unto Caesar's what's Caesar's. And under God's what's God's. We're giving to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. You know why? Because Caesar, that's the U.S. government, takes it. Why not set it up where the Lord takes it? And you don't have to battle with it every week, being faithful to God or not being faithful to God. It can all be done um, just through your account online. Now, if you give the old-fashioned way, like some of us folks do with envelopes and all that, this is what we do. We have envelopes here. It's very important that you designate. Somebody said, well, I just put it all in an envelope and... It all goes to the same pot. It doesn't all go to the same pot. Some of it goes to missions, and some of it goes to uh, support Hands for Healing, and some of it goes to support other campuses and ministries and staff and and utilities and and other campuses and, and so forth and so on. But if you designate it, there's three benefits from that. Number one, it makes your giving biblically accurate. You have got a record that you paid your tithe. At the end of the year, when you get a tax statement, there's your tithe on there, and you know it. It targets your giving for better budgeting, and all of this can be done by just simply when you fill out the envelope, you put your cash offering or your check in there, make sure you designate tithe. It has a blank right there, $200 or whatever, offering, whatever you want that to be, that's voluntary. Go, that's voluntary. And other, you can write on their you know, conference registration for men's conference or whatever. And designate that. It's very important that you designate where you want your money to go so that it can be strictly targeted to that. One of the things you got to be very careful of, you got to be careful not to fall into this trap that church has got plenty of money, pastor's got plenty of money, he's got nice cars, kids all got clothes on, you know, they all got plenty of money, I don't need to, you know, give to the church. I'm going to help somebody that's in need in the church. That's not your tithe, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to designate for that, you can put that on your envelope. I want $100 to go to so-and-so, and I can assure you that $100 will go to so-and-so. But that shouldn't be your tithe. Your tithe is always 10%, and it needs to go, the Bible says, into the storehouse. You say, well, where's that at? Well, get your Bibles out. Let's look at Malachi. And I'm going to wrap this up. Look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. Now, what is the storehouse? The storehouse is the church you're attending. 
It's not the church you attended four years ago because it's smaller and needs more help. It's not the church that you want to attend four years from now or four minutes from now after this message. It's not the church that come or the church that was. It's not a guy on television with a big smile and a big Bible. It is the church that you attend. That is the storehouse. Now, why do we bring the tithe into the storehouse? Well, Malachi says that there may be meat in my house. Ladies and gentlemen, when God's people are paying tithes, there is meat in the house. There is favor in the house. There is living word in the house. There is healing in the house. There's salvation in the house. Oh, hallelujah. There's going to be meat in the house when you pay your tithes into the storehouse. You say, well, pastor, this is not real spiritual this morning. Can I tell you, it's, it's the most spiritual we can be. Is obeying the ordinances and the plan of God. And David said, I've learned my lesson, hallelujah. I'm going to live according to the ordinance of God. And I'm going to recognize that my cup is only going to overflow if I get it under what God is pouring out. I'm not going to take what belongs to God, but I'm going to designate it back to Him. And then allow Him to fill my cup, my life, with the overflow of my faithfulness and my commitment. So here's what I want us to do today. I want you to take out your bulletin. Everybody's got a bulletin? Take out your bulletin. And just like uh, we did the other day when we did our commitment to consecration, I want you to take this, this part right here will we'll tear off. It's on a perforated edge. It says contributing. It's a little man holding a plant. I think it's a man. It looks like man's hands. It's got a little plant there, and it says the goal is to have 200 families committed to biblical giving each week. And then it says tithe, 10%. Join the team. Here's what I want you to do. Just as we made a commitment that we would be faithful in our consecration, praying, reading the Word of God, fasting once a week, I want us to be committed to do this. This is, this is an amazing thing. If we were to read more into Malachi, he said, prove me. It's the one place where God is saying, put me to the test. He said, prove me now herewith, verse 10, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer. Ladies and gentlemen, there's somebody out there trying to devour everything you make. You ever know some people make a lot of money and they never got any money because they put them in bags, the Bible says, and there's holes in the bottom of the bag. The Lord said, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. And it's the one place in Scripture where the Lord said, prove me. Put me to the test. Now, I'm asking you today to put God to the test because His Word says to put Him to the test. Prove Him and commit that in 2018, I will commit to pay tithes to the Lord. 10% of my increase, I will pay back to the Lord. Because guess what? It was never mine to begin with. It has always belonged to God. He puts it in my possession to test me. But I'm going to give it back to Him. And if you will commit to that, ladies and gentlemen, and prove Him, this year, 2018, make a commitment. Fill out this card. In just a moment, we're going to bring Him down here, put Him on the altar, and we're going to pray over this entire congregation. And I'm going to tell you something. 
God is going to bless you in ways that you cannot imagine. If you trust him with your soul, if you trust him with your family, certainly you can trust him with your finances. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, you know it's in the Bible. Prove him and see. And in 2018, in fact, I'm going I'm to go one step further. This is how much I believe in this principle. If at the end of this year, if you are faithful paying your tithes, and at the end of the year, God has not blessed you, I want you to come and see me, and I will return all of your money back to you. 100% money back guarantee. Right here, ladies and gentlemen. We'll do it. If we have to fire Brother Richie and Tyler and Russ Fobert, we're going to do it. such an awesome church. Thank you for having a sense of humor with me. But you say, how can you believe that so strongly? Here's why. Because you or I are not going to be the first person to prove that God is not faithful. All of these years of humanity, God's always been faithful. And you and I are not going to be the first to say, ah, I proved him wrong. I proved he's a liar. I was faithful and God didn't bless me. You're not going to be the first one and neither am I. You can stand on the solid rock that God is faithful. Oh, hallelujah. Will you take just a moment and would you put your name on that and would you just check that little box down there that says tithe. Offering is voluntary. Some people give 5%. Whatever you want to do in that regard, that's totally voluntary. Go is something we've talked about in the months of November and December last year. But tithe is the silver cup, ladies and gentlemen. It's the part that the Bible makes it clear we don't do we're robbing from God it's the part that is so biblical that if you and I do not heed to it everything else that flows underneath of it will always be a challenge spiritually our growth will be stunted I saw this happen over the past 20 years as we went into stewardship campaigns and people gave sacrificially we found that not only did God bless us and we were able to build a church and a campus and expand and so forth, but you know what we found? We found that we had spiritual revival. Spiritual revival. People getting the Holy Ghost. People's bodies being healed when we made commitments financially. Because ladies and gentlemen, if God can trust you and me, there is no limit to what God can pour out upon this church. Do you believe that in Jesus' name? Do you receive that in Jesus' name? Would you stand to your feet today? Oh, I feel the Lord. I wonder if we could just pray right now. We're going to come and bring our commitments in just a moment. But I just want us to pray right now and ask God to give us a confidence and a boldness to make this commitment. Would you lift your hands and your voices right now? Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the principles of your word. And I thank you, Lord, that I can trust in you and believe you, Lord that you're a faithful God. I'm asking you, God, to reveal yourself unto your people, even as Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers. Reveal yourself unto us, God, that we can trust you as our Jehovah Jireh. You're our provider, Lord, and you will provide for every need in the name of Jesus. Would you take your commitment right now? Would you step out from where you're standing? And I want to invite you just to come down to this altar. Lay your commitments all down here on this altar then I want you to stay down at the front because I want to pray right now. I want to pray for every single individual regardless of what you may be facing, regardless of what you may be going through. 
There's a God today that will immediately honor your commitment. And God will bless you in ways that you can't measure. He won't always be according to your checkbook. He'll bless you in your home. He'll bless you in your health. He'll bless you in your family. Hallelujah. He'll protect you and keep you all the days of your life. That's it. Just bring them. Even if you've given faithfully for many years, I want you to bring it. Put your commitments down right down here. Put them on this altar area. You don't have to put any numbers on it. All you're doing is saying, I commit to this biblical principle that I will be faithful with my tithes. That's all you're doing. You're making a commitment that in the year 2018, I'm going to prove the Lord. I'm going to put him to the test. God bless you. Keep on coming. Make way for him. Let everybody come so they can get their cards down here. Amen. Elders are coming. Others are coming from the sides. And as you bring it down, I want you to stay because I want us to pray together before we leave. Thank you. I know I've been a couple of minutes late today, but I thank you for being patient with us. Just come on, bring it down. Put it down on the altar. Let's pray together right now in the name of Jesus. Do you believe God's going to hear your cry? Amen. Why don't we lift our hands and our voices right now? Lord, I thank you for this beautiful congregation of people. I thank you, Lord, for their commitment to the biblical principles of giving. I ask you, Lord, now as we commit to pay our tithes and return what belongs to you, I pray, God, that you would open up the windows of heaven, oh God. I pray that you would heal those that are hurting, those that are broken in their body. I pray, God, that there would be blessings untold that we cannot measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, oh God. Heal broken marriages, oh Lord. Bring our children back home, those that may be lost. Let our minds be pure. Let our hearts be pure. Cleanse us, oh God. Renew in us a right mind and a right heart. Deliver us from fear and worry, oh God. Let your spirit, oh God, come upon your people. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for it, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for it, Lord. Do you believe God's heard your prayer? Do you believe God's going to answer your prayer? Let's sing this song together. Simply says, I will say yes unto you, Lord. Let's sing it right now. I will give you all. All is what you ask. My sacrifice is less than giving you my very best. Help me remember Calvary's cross and be willing to say yes. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. I will give you all. I will give you all. I will give you all. If all is what you ask. I will not be poor, and if my sacrifice is less than giving you my very best, help me remember Calvary's cross and be willing to say yes. Hallelujah, hallelujah. One more time. I will give you all. Oh, I will give you all. All is what you ask of me. I will not be told. And if my sacrifice is less 
Then giving you my very best. Here's what I feel led in the Holy Ghost. I feel like there are so many things, ladies and gentlemen, that God wants to do that only God can do. As we read about in the text today, it's only from His cup that comes salvation. And certainly the Lord has saved us, but we're all still in the process of being saved. None of us are safe until we hear the click of those pearly gates behind us. But there are things that only God can do. You can't do for yourself, but God can do it for you. It's got to come from His cup. It will never come from your cup or my cup. Here's what I want us to do right now. If you need God to do something in your life that only God can do, I want you to ask God that, Lord, through my commitment this year of being faithful to this biblical principle, I'm going to ask you, Lord, to return your favor back unto me by doing this one thing. Whatever it is. It may be something that you need in your life or something in the life of your loved ones but whatever it is that you need God to do that only God can do I want you to ask God right now if through your faithfulness he will return that favor back to you by answering that prayer would you lift your hands right now and would you give that to the Lord Lord I'm asking you God to do this I've prayed before but Lord right now As you have told us in your word to prove us and to put you to the test. And that you would open up the windows of heaven. And I'm asking you, Lord, to open up your windows of heaven, Lord, by hearing my cry right now and by answering this need. Whatever it is, would you call it out to the Lord right now? Lord, this is what only you can do. This can only come from your cup of salvation. This can only come from your cup of healing. I need you, Lord, to do it. I wonder, would you make your petition known right now in the name of Jesus? I make a commitment to you, Lord, but I'm asking you to meet this need that only you can do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, it may be the salvation of family members. Something you've prayed about a long time. But you said, Lord, in 2018, I'm asking you, Lord, to do what only you can do. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, God's going to take the sorrow and he's going to return joy. He's going to take the pain and he's going to return praise. He's going to take the hurt and he's going to replace it with the joy of the Lord. The healing balm of Gilead. Thank you, Lord. You believe God has heard your prayer. Would you lift both hands toward heaven right now? Would you thank him? Lord, I thank you in advance for the work I know you've done. I thank you, Lord, that in 2018, what looked to be impossible, God, you did the work. You did what only you could do. I can't do it, Lord. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. But oh God, I know your name, God. And I call upon the name of Jesus. I put it in your hands, Lord. And I thank you in advance. I thank you in advance, oh Lord. 
You believe God's heard your prayer today? Hallelujah. You believe God's going to honor you? Hallelujah. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.